invite you to join me in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,888. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. Before we read, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. Enlighten us by your spirit. Help us to see Christ and all his glory. Help us to see what you called us to. Um, but you have not left us powerless to walk out and to walk in. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be able to live in accordance and in step with the spirit and not with the flesh. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God, honor the King. As far as the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. Um, in uh, in Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, she recalls the way in which her family became involved with hiding Jewish people who were on the run from the Nazis. When they first became engaged in this work of mercy, they had an opportunity to smuggle out of Halem, a Jewish mother, and her young baby. Um, and since a Dutch Reformed pastor was visiting at the time, they asked him what he thought. Just so you know, Dutch Reformed pastors can be wrong sometimes, okay? He went pale and he said, Miss Ten Boom, I do hope you're not involved with any of this illegal concealment and undercover business. It's just not safe. Think of your father and your sister. She's never been strong. And in the film version of the book, the minister then tells Papa Ten Boom and his daughters that Christians are required to obey all those who are placed over them. And this is how Papa Ten Boom replied to this incorrect Dutch Reformed pastor. We will obey those who make the laws but not if they are against God's higher law. We must never obey the laws of men rather than the teaching of the scriptures. We must never submit to the laws of men if they contradict or go against the laws of God. That's an important point, I think, in our day and age that we need to hammer into us when we look at a passage like what we're looking at today that has to do with Submission to rulers and to masters and to uh, those who have been put in authority over us. Uh, but before we get to that point, we're going 
we're going to look at both parts of this passage. Our theme tonight is, as elect exiles, we are called to live godly lives amongst our neighbors and in submission to those in authority. As elect exiles, we're called to live godly lives amongst our neighbors and in submission to those in authority. We have two points tonight. The first is Christian witness through self-denial. And the second is Christian witness through submission. Look at this first point together. Christian witness through self-denial. Um, in all honesty, I probably could have preached to you verses 11 and 12 um, because what I see in verses 11 through 12 of this passage being is sort of um, the general statement of, of all the teaching that Peter is going to do uh, in the next section. Um, the next section is covered by a, um, a list of submissions, right? The first submit that Peter has is submit to rulers. Uh, the next submit is in verse 18, slaves, submit to your masters. Uh, the next submit is beginning of chapter 3, wives, submit to your husbands. And so there's this discussion about submission in the life of, of a Christian. What does that look like, right? Um, and, and, and so Peter goes into this large discussion. But um, I wanted to join these things together to this, this evening um, verses 11 and 12 and verses um, 13 through uh, 17 because I think that what Peter is teaching in verse 11 and 12 has a particular application in the way that we submit to leaders, elders, um, those who are in authority over us. But the first thing that Peter um, is, is expressing here is Christian witness through self-denial. Okay, uh, The thing that we need to catch at first here as Peter says in verse 11, dear friends. Now, dear friends is, I think, a little bit weaker than the word that is actually here uh, in, the, um, in the Greek. It, the word in the Greek is attached to the, the word agape, love. A beloved is a term that Peter uses, that many biblical authors use, to strictly speak to the body of believers, to Christian brothers and sisters. So he, Peter's not just simply saying, I have a close affection with you. He's saying, uh, in connection with what he's called them to do earlier, rid themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. Um, what he's called them to do earlier when he said, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, he is appealing to them now, and he's saying, dearly beloved, um, beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's urging them, 
Um, and so this is uh, one of the things that he does is he says what Christians are. Well, we are beloved, right? But he also says as aliens and strangers. As aliens and strangers, okay? Um, this word is a, a theme that, that Peter's using in his letters. He begins his letter to God's elect strangers. It's the word exiles, um, translated in other um, English versions. Same word used here as strangers. Uh, the word that he used here for aliens means um, just what you would think it means. It means somebody who is in another country that they do not belong to. They're not in their homeland. They are aliens. You look through the Old Testament, and even in the commandments, it says, uh, you know, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, don't make even the aliens work. Um, the strangers, the people who are in the midst of you but are not part of the people of Israel. Well, now Peter's saying, you Christians, you are aliens in this world. You do not belong here. Ultimately, this is not your final destination. This is not your home. You're aliens, okay? Um, I would say that uh, one particular application for this um, terminology as alien means that um, we should be able to have sympathy uh, for those who are in our country but are not citizens. Um, we should be able to desire um, that they would have a place, um, that they would not be mistreated, that they would not um, um, experience scorn or um, uh, experience hardship. Now, this is what uh, I want us to understand by this. We are aliens in this world. We are people who do not belong here, and so we, we know what that feels like, right? But there's a difference between saying that we have sympathy for them and also saying that they can break all the laws of our country, not to go through the proper channels. Um, you, you, you see what I'm saying? So you can have sympathy, um, but also um, uphold the, the law of the land. Or also say that uh, a solution for this has uh, is, is got to be more complex than a blanket amnesty and, and, and open borders. In fact, if you have open borders, then uh, there's no such thing as an alien because you have no boundaries for your country. There's nothing that, that separates your country from other countries. You're simply just, poof. And I'm, it seems kind of weird that I'm taking this moment to talk about um, what might seem political. But what I'm saying is we as Christians, because we are aliens in this world, because we are strangers in this world, we should have a heart for those who are without a home, for those who are seeking a better place for themselves. Right? Well, the next thing that um, Peter says is what Christians should not do. So this is who we are. Um, and this, this is what we shouldn't do. Peter says, Dearly beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, abstain from sinful desires 
Abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from the flesh, which wars against your soul. This is what we should not do. These sinful desires, we should not give in to them. We are to abstain from them. Now, Peter's already talked about how we are to rid ourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Peter's already talked about how we are to uh, give up the ways of our forefathers, the things that um, um, we were taught, right? Um, and so this is nothing new that Peter is addressing, but there's a particular application that he is bringing into, into play here. As Christians now, uh, that have been given the salvation that we've been given, um, with the understanding that we are aliens and strangers in this land, we're to know that there are things which are warring against our soul. There are forces, powers in this world, sinful desires that are seeking to grab us and to come after us. And we're, as Christians, called to abstain from these things. And the reason given, what we should do, verse 12, live good lives. Live such good lives among the pagans. In fact, the word here is Gentiles. Now, the reason why the NIV translates it to the pagans is because uh, there might be some confusion about maybe Peter's audience is a Jewish audience if he's saying, live, so much, live such good lives among the Gentiles. Well, Peter already went through a big discussion about how these Christians now are the chosen people, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so Peter has now said, you as Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ and received, and, and received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and accepted it, you are the new people of God. You are Israel, right? And so then he's saying everybody who's not Israel or the people who do not believe, the pagans, they're the Gentiles, right? But uh, the word here that he uses is, live such good lives among the Gentiles. Live some, such good lives among the pagans. That, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify God um, on the day he visits us. Now, um, there's a couple things that could be um, said about this. Um, this is what has often been called lifestyle evangelism. Um, many people attribute a, um, an old church father of saying, um, um, at all times preach, uh, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. And so there's this idea that if we can live such good lives, if we can live such godly lives, that somehow miraculously, People will just be converted by, by being around us, by looking at us, okay? Um, I don't think that that's what's meant by lifestyle evangelism. Um, I think what's meant by what Peter is te teaching here, he's saying that if, if God can grant that we would abstain from sinful desires, if God would give us the grace and the mercy and the power to live good lives among the pagans, that even though they accuse us of doing wrong, 
If they came over to our house, they would be moved by the way that we live our lives. They would see our good deeds. And that, that, that may give an occasion for us, as Peter will later say, to give a reason for the hope that we have in us, okay? Uh, and, and what I would say by lifestyle evangelism is this, okay? Um, if you're going to share the gospel with someone, you actually have to use words. Because the gospel is not uh, a changed life. The gospel is the message of the salvation that Jesus Christ brings by having come, by having died on the cross for our sins, and by being raised three days later. Um, the gospel is something that has content. It's about a person and what he did. And it's about who you are and that you're a sinner and that you need to believe in this person because he's the one and the only one that can offer salvation. And so you can't just simply live a good life and somehow that will miraculously um, transform a person or make them into a Christian, right? This is what I'm going to say, what lifestyle evangelism is about, okay? It's about adorning. Now, is it true? Is it true that somebody could be a hypocritical Christian, right? That they could come to church on Sunday um, every morning and, and on Saturday night before church, they're in the bars getting drunk. And is it true that this person, even though their life has not really been transformed, they are a philanderer, they are a, um, they're promiscuous, they do all these horrible things, but they come to church. Is it true that in their guilt for not being the kind of Christian that they should be, in their guilt for their hypocritical life, they could share the gospel with somebody? And that person could be saved because they shared the gospel with them. Absolutely, God works in mysterious ways, right? Um, but the way that God typically works is through relationships. It's through relationships. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, if my life is not adorned with the transformation of the gospel, is the gospel going to be all that appealing when I share the message? If the power of the gospel is not at work in my life, if I'm no different from my neighbor who is a pagan, if I don't abstain from any sinful desires that are at war against my soul, I give in to every single one of them, then do you think that I am offering something meaningful to my neighbor when I say, believe in the gospel and you'll be saved, your life will be transformed? No. So... Um, this is what uh, Karen Job says in her commentary. A primary purpose of a self-controlled life is its evangelistic value for attesting to the truth of the Christian gospel. I've got to read that again because I think it's really uh, great the way she says this. A primary purpose of a self-controlled life is its evangelistic value for attesting to the truth of the Christian gospel. Maybe you've heard it said this way. People don't care what I have to say until they know that I care. If you want an opportunity to really make people listen to you, if you want an opportunity for really make 
the gospel appealing or palatable or powerful in its presentation, then your life needs to be transformed by the gospel. You need to be a different person because of what the Jesus Christ has done in your life. That's all Peter's saying here. He's saying that you should live such good lives among pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they know deep down that you are different than them. You have a self-controlled life. And the hope is that because of that, they may turn to God, they may turn to Jesus and have salvation. Uh, this, this discussion here about see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, it's not about shame that they're going to experience on the day that God comes in judgment and, and the, the, uh, the admittance that, oh, you were right. That's not actually what it's saying here. Okay? It's much more evangelistic in nature what Peter's saying here. He's saying that maybe because of your godly life and maybe because of the way that you are living out the power of the gospel, if the Lord would visit in power, these pagans may come to know Jesus Christ. Okay? Um, they may uh, be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I've got some reflection questions for us um, about this particular pa part of the passage that I uh, want us to think about. Um, do I, I want us to ask, do I always try to live a holy life? Another question, do I seek to obtain from harmful desires? Now, if we're being honest with ourselves, we'll say, we don't always try to live a holy life. And then there are times that we, um, we do not abstain from sinful desires. But here's another question. Um, do I keep going back to Jesus when these two things are hard? And do I keep asking him for the grace to accomplish these things and for a renewed heart and passion to pursue these things? Do I seek to live a life which forces people to see the inadequacies of their own selfish desires? What do I mean by that? I mean, when people go after whatever it is in their heart to go after apart from God, does your life express a contrast to that? When they discover that that kind of pursuit is empty, it does not bring true wholeness, it does not bring true happiness, it does not bring true peace. Do I long that more people will come to know Christ through the witness of my life, live for the glory of God? Do I pray that my life uh, would be transformed by the gospel in such a way that, that would give opportunity to share the gospel with others? These are questions that we can ask. Okay. Moving on to the second point here. witness through submission. Verse 13, Peter then makes a particular application about living such good lives among the pagans. In the realm of what does it look like for strangers and aliens who do not belong to this world to live in this world where there are kings, where there are governors, where there are presidents, where there are mayors, where there are laws, so on and so forth. Okay? Um, 
Um, is, does it mean that now none of these things apply to us because we have um, a kingdom that we belong to that's not this kingdom? Um, and we have a king that uh, is above all other kings, right? Well, Peter says, the one way that we live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they may see, we pray that they may see uh, good deed, God's, our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, is that we are submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Um, submit to authorities. Um, this is an application of the fifth commandment. If you read the Heidelberg Catechism, it talks about this. What does honor your father and mother mean? Uh, it means uh, submitting ourselves to all God, uh, rightfully uh, ordained God, God-given authorities. Uh, Paul teaches this in Rome, talks about this in Romans 13. Um, so this is, a, this is a teaching found in Scripture in multiple places. Um, Peter has this particular passage about it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, um, whether to kings, governors, um, as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Peter here is probably in particular thinking about... Um, the way that the Roman Empire functioned and worked. Um, the, uh, the emperor was the king. He was the supreme authority. But uh, he gave authority. And he gave uh, governors uh, authority to, uh, to, uh, to distribute uh, in his place, uh, in his name. And so Pontius Pilate was a governor in, in, in Judea at the time of Jesus. Um, Herod is a governor for the... Um, for the, um, for the emperor. Um, there's these little districts, right, um, where these people are put in authority and they carry out the wills and the wishes of the supreme authority. And so Peter here is thinking of that. He's thinking the king or the emperor as the supreme authority governors. Um, and, and, and this is a, a very important application because uh, it, it may very well be the case that Peter's audience is experiencing um, persecution and difficulty and hardship from these governing authorities that are sent out by the emperor. In fact, um, there is a lot of uh, uh, very old ancient literature about this. Um, uh, we, read, we can read in, in Pliny, the elders' uh, writings, uh, that he would write back to the emperor, and Pliny would describe uh, the, um, the way that he's handling this new cult called Christians. And he gives this letter to the emperor, and he says, Emperor, I'm... I'm going around to these people who call themselves Christians because many have said that they are unruly and they are not uh, wanting to be a part of our society. And uh, Lord, I, I, Emperor, I am making them burn incense to you and curse the name of Christ. And if they don't do that, then they're punished. Um, some are saying that they used to be Christians and now they aren't and so on and so forth, right? Well, Peter, my, uh, his, uh, his audience of this letter might be experiencing uh, these kind of rumblings beginning of this kind of hardship and persecution, okay? And so they may be asking themselves, are we to submit to these authorities? In fact, it very well may be that when Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, Nero 
was the emperor in Rome. Nero wanted to build some things in the city of Rome, and uh, they wouldn't let him do it. So what he did was he set fire to these buildings so he could build new buildings. And, and what he did was he turned Christians into scapegoats. And he blamed these fires on the Christians. And that began Nero's persecution of Christians. Uh, Christians would be then taken and put into the Colosseum and eaten by lions. Um, Nero would impale them upon stakes and dip them in oil and light them so his garden parties could have lamps where people could walk around. These are horrible things. In fact, Peter would ultimately be crucified upside down according to history um, under Nero. And so here Peter is saying, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king, as the supreme authority, or to governors. And Peter makes the same application that Paul makes, that these people are meant to, that the position, that the God-given role of governing authorities is to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It's to give order to society. Um, most people balk underneath uh, unjust or unjust rulers and authorities, but nobody wants anarchy. Nobody wants free reign, no rules, do whatever you want, okay? Nobody wants that. If you know the heart of man, you do not want that. And so, we're told here, it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So, these um, Christians could very well have been experiencing false charges. Experiencing false charges. And what Peter is saying here is false charges against Christians should be dealt with in God's way. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. That is, that even if people prod you, even if people persecute you, even if people seek to accuse you of things you have not done, you're not to take things into your own hands. You're to let God judge. We're to have an attitude of submission to those who are in authority over us. We're to have an attitude of submission that says... That is our desire to be in submission to you in all ways that we are called to be submissive in submission to you insofar as what you're calling us to do um, is not in disobedience to God and to Christ Jesus, our Savior. Um, and so, even if it is the case uh, that we may be um, accused of, of, of wrong, even if it is the case that we may be recipients at the hands of injustice done to us by governing authorities, um, we are to do what is good. Because in the day of judgment, um, if it does not happen in this time, we should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men by our lives. In fact, I know this, this is what Peter is teaching because... Um, he will go on to say in, in his discussion with slaves, um, 
It is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And then he uses Christ as an example. Christ was at the recipient was a recipient of injustice of those who were do, who were do wrong did wrong against them. Um, and this is what he says about Christ: He entrusted himself to Him who judges justly. And Peter will make an application to slaves and say, "If you are beaten by your slave masters, should it not be for doing good rather than for doing what is wrong or bad?" For if you receive a beating for doing what is good, God sees and he knows. He will go on to make an application to wives. He will say, submit to your husbands even if they do not believe the word. And so, this is what Peter is saying here. He's saying, even if you are to be, as Christians, recipients of injustice, of wrong accusations, of slander. Should you not do what is good and what is right? Because if you do what is good and what is right and you receive punishment for it, if you receive hardship for it, God sees. Should you not trust yourself to the one who acts justly, who judges justly, you will silence the ignorant talk foolish men. But also, he, Peter says, we, it is true that we are free people. It is true that we are free men, but we are not to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but rather to live as servants for God. So as free people, we are to be slaves to God. And Paul would make this application in the, in the book of Galatians as well. People of God, don't use your freedom don't use your liberty as an opportunity to indulge in sin, but rather use it as an opportunity to serve God. And that's what Peter is saying here. In our submission to authorities, we're not to use our freedom. We're not to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but rather to live as servants of God. This does not mean um, that we bend over for everything and for anything. In fact, many Christians during the reign of Nero, many Christians in the, the ages to come during the Roman Emperor and the Roman Empire, they would not burn incense to the emperor. They would not engage in emperor worship. They would not say, uh, Caesar is Lord, because they knew that Jesus was Lord. And so there was a place, there was a line that they would not cross. They would say, I will submit to you in all ways, but right here at this point, I cannot submit to you. If you ask me to do something that is against God, I cannot do, do this. If you ask me to do something that would harm another person and that go against God's law, his supreme law, I cannot do this thing. Right? Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, is about the civil magistrate. And it says, God, the supreme Lord and king of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good, and to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. The second point that the Westminster Confession of Faith 
makes about the civil magistrates is that it is lawful, Christ, lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate we're called unto, and the managing whereof as they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth, so for that end they may lawfully now under the New Testament wage war upon just and necessary occasion. Um, another thing that the Westminster Confession of Faith says about civil magistrates is that they are not to assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments. That's the separation between church and state powers. Uh, the, the church is given the sword of the spirit. The state is given the sword to punish evildoers. Um, they're not to take to themselves the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Or in the least, interfere in matters of faith. Um, and in verse, uh, point three of, this, of Westminster Confession of Faith, it makes a very uh, interesting point about civil magistrates. It says, as nursing fathers, it's the duty of civil magistrates to protect the church of our common Lord without giving the preference to any denomination of Christians above the rest, in such a manner that all ecclesiastical persons, whatever, shall enjoy the full, free, and unquestioned liberty of discharging every part of their sacred functions without violence or danger. And as Jesus Christ hath appointed a regular government and discipline in his church, no law of any commonwealth should interfere with, let, or hinder the due exercise thereof among the voluntary members of any denomination of Christians according to their own profession and belief. It's the duty of civil magistrates to protect the person and good name of all their people in such an effectual manner as that no person be suffered, either upon pretense of religion or of infidelity, to offer any indignity, violence, abuse, or injury to any other person whatsoever, and to take order that all religious and ecclesiastical assemblies be held without molestation or disturbance. What chapter 23 of the Westerners' Confession of Faith is saying is, if civil government worked as it should work, uh, the civil government would leave the church alone, allowing them to do what it is that the church is called to do, knowing that in every great society, uh, religious people and a moral people is good for that society. But it is the case that oftentimes civil magistrates turn away from the way things ought to be. <clears throat> and they seek to place themselves on the throne and call themselves God. And they seek to make their own new religion, right? And because they're seeking to be the most high and ultimate authority in the land, then they must seek out and destroy those who proclaim that there is a higher power. And that's why often you see in regimes, and often you see in communist places, and often you see in these totalitarian and authoritarian governments that they attack the church. Because the church is seen as a threat to them. And it's in those times and those seasons, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> when we need to be talking about what it means to submit to the government. Because there are a lot of people out there blanket quoting Romans 13 in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and following. And saying, see, the Bible says we must submit, 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 submit. We have to be as wise as serpents, as gentle as doves. Because we're not called to submit to governments who think that they are God. We're not called to submit to governments who are asking us to do something that is harmful to our neighbors. Just like 
Corrie ten Boom and her family, they understood that the government was saying, this is what you must do. But what they were doing was killing innocent people. And so to break the law in order to save lives and to preserve life was called for in that moment. And so, how do we live our lives these days as we see that our own government in America is reaching towards authoritarianism and totalitarianism? They are looking for compliance from us in every way possible. They're starting to place the target on the church. What we're called to do is submit in every way that we possibly can. And then with all gentleness and respect, say, but this is the line I cannot cross. Okay? And we need to discern what that line is. So a lot of people are going to be drawing the line in different places. But one of the things that we ought to think about in the days to come is how important to us is loving our neighbor if it means that we are seeking to protect the freedoms that they enjoy, that we enjoy. How important is it to us that we live in a land where we have a voice? We don't live in an empire like Peter did. The way our government functions is different. We have an opportunity to speak up, to speak out against these things without being in disobedience to our government. These are important things that we need to be thinking about. Questions that we could be asking, like how do I seek to submit to every God-given authority in my life? How do I seek to submit to authorities even if they are ungodly and flawed? How does my life silence the ignorant talk of foolish people? Um, do I use my freedom as a cover-up for evil or in order to serve God? Um, in what ways do I show honor to all people? Verse 17 is a, a summary of all these things. Uh, show proper respect to everyone. Show honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Uh, fear God, honor the king. How do I express love to my fellow Christians? Um, do I respect, revere, do I fear God over all other given uh, authorities? That's Peter's way of saying, yeah, you're called to fear God, but you're called to honor the king. See, he's, he's placing these things on a platform. He's placing these things in order for us to see their importance. You fear God, you honor the king. Okay? Um, do I respect, do I fear God? Um, do I show honor to the king? As elect exiles, we're called to live godly lives amongst our neighbors and in submission to those in authority insofar that what they're calling us to do um, is not in dis uh, disobedience to God. So I pray that we would have wisdom and discernment in our future about these things. Uh, this is a very important teaching, one that we need to be uh, thinking about more often 
and uh, one that we need to be um, pondering because um, opportunities to apply this particular teaching in our lives, I think, are going to um, increase as the time goes on. So, amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that you have given us a higher law that we're called to obey. And we pray, Lord, that in every way we would seek to um, abstain from sinful desires, that we would uh, seek to live such good lives among the unbelievers, that though they accuse of us of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify you on the day you visit us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to submit ourselves for your sake to every authority, whether to the president or to the governors. Um, we pray, Heavenly Father, that those who are in authority would seek to do and reign and rule in the way that you call them to do by punishing those who do wrong and commending those who do right. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that in our submission to authorities, even if we are wrongfully accused, that by doing good we could silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Help us to not use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but to live as servants for you, Lord. And may we honor everyone. May we love the brotherhood. May we fear you. May we give honor to the king. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.